Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Today's episode was edited by Jeffrey Gordon of Ideal Video Strategies. Go to IdealVideoStrategies.com to learn more about him. Hey, have you joined the ADHD Essentials Facebook community yet? We'd love to have you. It's a group where you'll find support for parenting your child with ADHD and managing your own challenges. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash ADHD Essentials Community to sign up. And don't forget that five-star rating and review you've been meaning to give me on iTunes. Now's a great time to close that loop. They go a long way towards helping others find the show. Just remember to use a unique username or iTunes might not accept your post. This is episode 59. Today, we're talking to Linda Katz of Right Fit College Coaching. Linda specializes in providing students with ADHD and similar learning disabilities with comprehensive college planning. She helps them find the colleges that will best suit their interest and needs, and then helps them go through the process of applying. In today's episode, we talk about the college application process, how important it is for our kids to try out the career they're looking at before committing four years of study to it, how to find them just such an internship, and how college is different from high school. All right, let's get rolling. Linda, you are the owner and originator of Right Fit College Coaching. And so what you do, at least in part, is you work with kids in high school preparing them to go to college. Am I understanding that correctly? I work with students and, and ends up being their parents also. Um, hopefully the students or the parents get in touch with me as early in high school as possible, ideally in sophomore year. And then, but I certainly get students who get in touch in their junior year or even closer to their senior fall. But I help students look at the rest of high school and how they can be most successful in getting themselves to be more independent and more academically and socially ready for college. But then we certainly go through all the things that need to happen to uh, apply to college, to decide which colleges would be appropriate for any level of support they might need. A lot of what I work with students on is helping them get ready in a more holistic way, not just can they get into a particular college. When you say holistic, is that more than academic? Is that more than just a specific college like you mentioned? What do you mean by holistic? I'm an occupational therapist by background, so that's sort of where my uh, holistic way of working comes into play. But I work with students on interest and aptitude assessment with them to help them figure out some areas that they might be interested in pursuing as far as possible majors or career possibilities, and then helping that just to be at least a point of discussion where they might get out and do some job shadowing or possibly internships or volunteering in these different areas. For instance, if a student thinks they might like to be a nurse or a elementary education teacher, 
at that point, you know, I really encourage them to get out. And if they want to be a teacher, spend some time with young children, you know, volunteer or get a job in a, in a, a preschool or an after school program. If they want to be a nurse, they need to spend some time um, observing in a medical facility to make sure that they can handle all that goes on in that type of situation before they go down that path and spend a lot of time and money pursuing education with those particular types of majors. So you're encouraging the students and their families to look at what these majors mean before they chase them down, it sounds like. Yes, and, and also find out what they don't like, mm-hmm. you know, because if they really decide that isn't what I thought it was, that's good to know before they actually apply to a physical therapy program and put a lot of eggs in that basket. So that's, you know, at least good to get those discussions going, spend some time looking into that in high school. But I'm also encouraging students, you know, they, of course, um, people have heard of this need to learn how to advocate for themselves. Because in high school, if they are receiving any support at school, they will have it given to them. Mm-hmm. Whereas in college, they have to be in charge of, you know, getting it um, themselves, not their parents. So they'll be 18. The college will not be communicating with the parents. They'll be communicating with the student and the student has to initiate it. So helping them learn to advocate for themselves in high school to go talk to their teachers you know, when they need help to go. Um, after school, before school, you know, being much more involved in their own education and learning what areas they do need assistance with and what areas they can be more independent and they don't need any assistance with. So certainly helping students become more independent before they go off to college is a big piece. They're, you know, really helping students become more resilient when they're in, Mm -hmm. you know, all through childhood into, into high school, because what's happening, colleges report that many, many students, there's like a epidemic of levels of anxiety and depression on college campuses, freshman, sophomore, especially students are, are needing to drop out of school at some points because of the levels of anxiety or depression. So helping students become resilient, learn how to have some failures and not being rescued by their families or by their teachers so that they can bounce back and have little disappointments and not have it be the end of the world. Those are all the types of things that are good to be happening in high school so that students go off to college more ready to handle life. And that's part of why you want to get your clients as early on in their high school career as possible so there's more time to fail and learn some resilience, to advocate for themselves and those sorts of things. Correct, because this is, this is both the student working on this, but also parents have to be on board. And you know, I often talk to someone at school about what the plan is there. If they, are, if they do have an um, educational plan and they have some sort of liaison who's working with the student at school, I would maybe talk to that person. But certainly parents, you know, those of us who t- who've, you know, wanted to make things great for our kids, sometimes do too much and don't allow them to, to fail. And, and we need to, you know, help them be independent and realize that, yes, there will be some times you mess up and that's okay. You get through it. And it's better to, to do that when you have the support of home and learn how to bounce back. And, and I know that you work with clients who specifically have ADHD and executive functioning challenges. Are there any unique challenges that they face or common pitfalls that they might stumble into that you can share with us and provide us with some workarounds for? You know, the, the typical things, you know, students might be able to do the work, but they've either forgot they had an assignment or they don't know where they put it and they don't hand it in or they, you know, didn't plan ahead. So there's actually no way they're possibly going to get that project done the night before it's due. You know, the typical types of executive function things, you know, I'm often recommending students work with someone 
um, you know, like yourself, some sort of academic coach during high school to help them figure out how to address um, all these issues of time management, of planning, of organization, because oftentimes that's what will keep students from being successful at college. Mm -hmm. Getting that work done during high school years, if obviously even before is better, is very appropriate. And then many times students will need to continue, you know, working with someone, you know, remotely or otherwise or on the college campus to continue that at least as a freshman as they transition into college. Um, Because as you know, a big thing in college is the many, many hours of unstructured time. Right which is quite different than high school. Um, So for a student with ADHD and executive function difficulties, that's a problem. Right. Um, If they they haven't really worked on how they're going to schedule their day and their study time. In terms of just applying to college, right, I'm sort of thinking of it as it's kind of just one big long-term assignment or depending on how many colleges you're applying to, maybe it's three, four, five, six different long-term assignments that are just kind of similar. What are some of the pitfalls in that process that families affected by ADHD should know about in advance. I'm not just thinking about the kid who's got ADHD. I'm also thinking ADHD is hereditary. So maybe the parents have it too. And that might mean there's not as much support in this family for the kid in terms of parental skills as there might otherwise be in a neurotypical family. So what, what are some pitfalls there that we should be alert to? You know, I know certainly with my family, there's a, my families, there's a regular amount of sort of emails that I send out and, you know, on a basis. Okay. So this is where you want to be focusing on now. So having it broken down into parts. So I think that if families are working on this process on their own, you know, there's definitely resources out there, um, you know, about how to apply to college. You can just Google it and there would be lists of things, what you need to do when, but um, I think just starting early, you know, I mean, the biggest thing families can do is that, you know, they don't want to increase the stress level by having this done all at the last minute because that will increase the stress level. Mm-hmm. So the biggest thing is to start early. Certainly people can, you know, get information from their school guidance counselors. If they have a guidance counselor, if they're at a school system where the guidance counselor has, you know, time to meet with them and, and speak with them about this, that's certainly, and there are definitely group sessions people can go to to learn stuff. It's really starting early, and the biggest thing I think families need to do is have a conversation early also about finances. Parents need to figure out, you know, what they can do to decide where, what, how much money they can put forth each year for the student's education, knowing especially for many students these days, but certainly students who've needed some academic support, that sometimes a student doesn't graduate in four years, so they may need to plan financially for an extra semester or year. By having this conversation, and, and also there are ways to estimate what they might get in the way of any financial aid. There's something called the FAFSA forecaster, the number four. And in that, they can at least get an idea of what the government thinks they should be paying yearly for college and what they might need to be paying. And then have that conversation with their child because sometimes uh, when you start putting together a list of colleges, yes, they need to be appropriate academically and socially and have the right level of support, but the family also needs to be able to, to pay for it. I think it's very important that that's an early on conversation so that students can know that if they're applying to X private college that costs you know $65,000, that would only work for their family if the student got, you know, I'm just picking a number, $30,000 in financial aid. 
families do need to have that conversation. This sort of process, that's what you do, right? You're, you sort of walk parents through the application process from soup to nuts? Right. Well, I try to walk the students through and have the parents always as a CC on emails. Okay. I'm trying to have the students be as uh, drive this process as much as possible. Um, but then I often will have um, extra phone conversations with the mom or dad so we can kind of debrief and, and talk about all the things that they may be frustrated about. And also I try to be the person who's sending those emails or texts and then having the you know calls. I do a lot of video calls with students to be the one saying like, okay, you were going to work on this essay. Let's get it started. You tell me what you want to do, but we need to move this along. And basically there are a couple times along the way that for some students I need to say, you got to let me know how you're feeling about this. It seems like you're having trouble moving ahead. You know, are you still feeling like you want to apply to college? Occasionally that needs to be asked because then the student will be like, oh yeah, I do want to apply to college and I guess I'm going to have to do some stuff. <laughs> what does that conversation look like when you say to a kid, do you still want to apply to college? That doesn't happen very often, but for the kids who are totally dropping the ball, they're not getting back to me, they're, you know, it may be a speed they're overwhelmed with school and everything. Mm -hmm. And then I try to have a conversation with them about what's going on, what can I do to help, do you need to set things off? Or let's say in the fall, a lot of students are applying what's called early action. Mm -hmm. and, and those deadlines tend to be November 1st, November 15th, or maybe December 1st. You don't have to apply then but many of your classmates are, um, then you'll hear back before the December holidays, which is kind of nice to take the stress off. Um, and you don't have to do that. And you can wait and apply in January. But many of them do want to apply early. So when it comes around to be, you know, October 1st and they're dragging their feet, I'm saying, okay, so it kind of looks to me like you're not going to make the November deadlines. Should we just decide that and put it off. And they're like, no, 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 I want to make the November deadlines. And then they realize like, okay, what do I need to do here? So it's, it's rare that a student totally says, yeah, I've changed my mind. I don't, I don't want to apply to college. They, they just don't get it that they actually have to do some stuff. Okay. Um, and so that's my job is to keep things moving along. But I do try to get students to do many of the big chunks in the summer before senior fall, writing their main personal statement essay, filling out the common application, which is the, the vehicle to apply to multiple colleges at once. Not every college um, is on the common application, but the majority are. So can we poke around in there a little bit? Sure. Can you walk us through what the common app is and what it looks like? Sure. The, the common application is something that if, you know, people just Google common application, it'll come up and the student starts an account. And, you know, it, a lot of it's just a form that students are filling out that's, you know, all their, their, their profile of their family's information. Um, then they are going to have to fill out, in many cases, the courses they're taking senior year. There's going to be a list of activities that they've done throughout high school, how many hours they've spent at it, what years, and a few little short phrases about each of those. The most difficult part of the common application is their up to 650-word personal statement essay. So that's the thing that really takes some time. The rest of it really is, you know, a little bit just tedious mm -hmm. filling it out. And I do go over it with them because it has to be filled out without any uh, typos. And sometimes students will put down, yes, I sure, I'll take a fee waiver. I'm like, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you know, qualify for a fee waiver. So there are things that students just don't know how to answer that, you know, I'll go over with them. And then I do have families, you know, print it out at the end and go over it themselves. It sounds like it's a tool to facilitate 
applying to college. Like it just makes it easier. With the Common App, I can now apply to five, six, seven different schools, and I've filled out 90% of the stuff that I have to fill out because I've done the Common App. Correct. And then there are a different, some colleges will have their own application. May not be that, that you're done after that, but, but definitely most of it. And then each college has, um, under a different section of the Common App, each college has some additional questions they've decided to ask. But most of them are just easy checkoff things. Some of the colleges will have some other shorter essays in there. Um, tell us about an extracurricular activity that you'd like to expand upon. Or, you know, why do you want to come to XYZ College? So some of them are shorter essays that have to be done also. And, of course, the student needs to have their college list together where they want to apply before they can start answering any of those questions because they have to know where they're going to apply. So if they have not figured out where they want to apply until senior fall, then they haven't been able to start any of that. So that's why certainly junior year, I suggest that students even in the fall of junior year, that they with their families try to at least do a couple of window shopping type visits to college. When I was in high school, um, I applied to exactly two different colleges. I applied to Bridgewater State in Massachusetts uh, because my sisters went there. And I applied to UMass Amherst because my best friend was going there and was very excited about it. And that's all I applied to. I didn't spend a lot of time thinking about my college. I didn't spend a lot of time worrying about it. It just wasn't on my radar. If I was working with you, I would, would have been one of those kids that you were like, so do you actually want to go to college? Like, what is happening? <laughs> and, and it was totally because I didn't know what that meant. How can parents help their kids figure out where they might want to go? Well, I think doing some of this, you know, window shopping is helpful. So in the fall of junior year, there's often, a, you know, there's, depending on what school system you're in, you might have holidays for the Jewish holidays. And if you're not Jewish, you might be able to visit colleges then. There's Columbus Day, there's Veterans Day, sometimes there's a professional day. Planning ahead to take advantage of some of those and just trying to go to, you know, a bigger school, a smaller school, um, you know, something more rural, you know, you, just get out to a few campuses so you begin to know what's going on and what you might be looking for. And then, you know, students can begin to, to keep a list of what I must have in a college and what would be nice to have. Mm -hmm. And those are two different things, but helpful to separate them out. And, you know, I really talk with students about, you know, it's not all about the tour guide. You may not like this tour guide at all, but it still might be a great school for you. Right. Or you might really think the tour guide's great and the school might not be a good fit for you at all. And if you're there on a really rainy, nasty day, there aren't going to be kids out playing Frisbee on the quad. That's going to be a different feeling, <laughs> you know, so to take those things into account. But so in the fall, it's just kind of to get some ideas. And then, of course, also all along the way here, trying to figure out, you know, what they might be interested in studying, because if they do think they want to go into engineering, okay, you have to go to school that has engineering. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can do your undergrad degree and then get a master's, but you know, you're spending more money and time if you don't know that from the beginning. Um, and you know, it is still definitely true that many, if not more than half of students will change their major once they've you know, picked a major. If you've got ADHD, you're, you're so changing your major. <laughs> so, but, but at least if you rule some things out, in your high school years because you've, you've done an internship and you've tried it or you've gone and done some job shadowing. You know, I know my son said he wanted to, my oldest son said he wanted to do industrial design. 
and I found someone that had a firm of like six people and could he go spend a half a day with them? And uh, he did. And he came back and he said, I don't want to do that. It's all in front of the computer. I thought it was like stuff I'd be making with my hands. And it was like, you know, he would have been applying to schools that had that. It's good to know what you don't want to do too. You've mentioned job shadowing a few times now. How do I do that? How do I make that happen for my kid? Is it just I call places that are nearby? Is it something I do through the school? What does that look like? Sometimes it might happen through the school, but occasionally schools have sort of internship. They're usually like senior year, senior spring programs. It might be like a senior project or an independent project. So certainly ask it at school. That would be good to plan ahead for. But but even in, I'd, I'd like to even see it start earlier than senior spring, which typically wouldn't happen out of school before then. You know, so as far as job shadowing, you know, that can be a three hours or four hours or whatever. And that can be, you know, sending emails to neighbors and friends. Uncle Joe knows someone, you know, just talk to everyone you know about, you know, does anyone know anyone who does whatever type of work? And could my kid come spend a few hours and see what they do? And then of course, if they hit it off and there's a way to like come back and do a little bit more, uh, you know, give it a go again. I know uh, another kid was looking at engineering stuff and they have some of the programs have like it, you know, Bose or iRobot or some of these bigger programs do have programs where they'll bring students in for this sort of thing. So some of them have programs set up and sometimes it would just be a real casual thing with a neighbor or friend. Um, You know, if you have a real motivated student, they can help with this. But I think oftentimes an adult might get involved in this. And this, again, just looking at this through the lens of ADHD, this is still more organization. This is still more motivation and proactive approaches to things. And that might be hard if you've got a kid with ADHD or if you yourself have ADHD as the parent. Right. Although at least it tends to be more interesting for some kids than just sort of the academic piece. You're going out, you're actually talking, you're seeing about what happens at a job. Once it happens, I imagine they would enjoy it. But the, the steps necessary to make it happen was sort of where I was playing a second ago, where yes. that stuff is going to be a little tricky and it requires putting yourself out there for the kid and for the parent. I know personally, that's a thing that I've gotten much better at in large part because of the podcast and the workshops that I do. I have to just contact people all the time and be like, hey, do you want me to do a workshop for you? Do you want to come on my podcast? But it's not easy for everybody. No, and of course, there's, there's people who are also more introverted and that's just adds another layer of that's hard to just call someone and talk to someone I don't know. So, but of course, these are great skills to have. So I talk to students about, yeah, this, this might be uncomfortable and it might be hard, but this, every time you do it, it gets a little easier. So, you know, this is a great experience. And if it, if you love it, great. If not, you've learned something from it and uh, let's debrief afterwards, you know. And that's important, that debrief side of it. That's key. So how did it go? What would you like, what you didn't like? Exactly. And what would you do differently next time? And also, you know, sometimes students do have to interview for when they apply to college, not all the time, um, but some colleges do highly recommend it. And then, of course, you know, I would practice if I was working with student um, role play and work on that. But anytime they go out and something like this, like a job shadow or a, a volunteer, even at a local you know, if they're interested in some sort of digital media stuff or whatever, they should try to connect with their local cable station or the whatever they have at the high school, mm-hmm. filming a sports event or a drama thing or, you know, what they could do for their town cable. Again, that's hard to 
get started, but once you do get it started, it can be a great thing and students, you know, it helps them in all kinds of ways. And part of it is just getting out there and talking to people who don't know them. For that matter, part-time jobs are great. Um, if a student is not involved in too much else, sometimes a part-time job would just push them over the edge. So academically, they're like, don't have enough time because they're already involved in sports or drama or something else. So you can't do everything. Right. But a part-time job can be great because, of course, they have to show up on time and they get feedback from other people. And it's not like school being like, oh, yeah, well, that's just Joey. We sort of help him out. You know, like a job's not going to do that. Right. And that's good. <laughs> And even with a part-time job, you can be imaginative, right? Like when I was in school, when I was a kid, I did all of the classic jobs you get out of a television, right? Like I was a paper boy. I worked at a supermarket, worked at a restaurant, all the stuff that requires no imagination and no larger awareness of the world. But I had a friend who did, who was uh, his senior year, he worked at a temp agency and he did all kinds of stuff. Just And mostly it was office work, but he was exposed to lots of different kinds of offices and he got paid better than I did. And after I met him, I was like, that's brilliant. Like, that's a great way to, to approach things. He was working after school, doing mostly secretarial type work, but he got exposed to lots of other industries that he might not otherwise have come across. Right, right. No, I think it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot out there. It does take some initiative and some planning ahead to, to see what's out there. And I think sometimes too, if, you know, some of these things cost money, so it, it can be a different story, but sometimes, you know, if you think a kid is interested in a particular area, whether it's, you know, a health-related profession or it's, you know, again, nursing, engineering, whatever, if it's something specific like that, sometimes getting them as a, you know, after their junior summer or something, their junior year in the summer, going to some sort of exploration program thing. Mm -hmm. Again, sometimes they end up costing money, but at least, you know, so if you think you want to be an engineer, you know, maybe you can go to one of these exploring engineering things. There are some that are free if you plan ahead. Right. Um, and you have to write an essay and get a recommendation from your teacher. You know, the ones, if you don't plan ahead, you're going to end up going to one that costs money <laughs> because the other ones are going to be full. But, you know, that can both show a college that, yes, you've looked into this field and you know what it's about. Um, and also for yourself mm -hmm. to say, I like that. That really excited me. You're like, ugh, didn't interest me at all. I don't want to go that direction. Yeah. So again, high school is a great time for exploration. On the fringes of what we're talking about, and I just want to call it out and see what your thoughts are on it. But on the fringes of all this is a gap year, right? Because the things we're talking about now, all of that can take place during a gap year program. Is that something that's worth considering on the road to college? Sure. Um, you know, most colleges these days are fine with uh, students taking a gap program, but what almost is always recommended, unless the student is really having a tough time and just can't deal with this, it's mostly recommended that students would follow the same process to take their SATs or ACTs, apply to colleges, get some decisions back, make a decision as to which is the best college for them to attend, mm -hmm. and then accept and ask that ask to defer okay. for a year to take a gap year. That way they've already done all this this work that can be somewhat annoying and difficult to get through. You know, taking their SAT or ACT and all the rest of it, filling out their applications when their peers are doing it. Mm -hmm. And then that way they can take their, you know, gap experience and they would have that acceptance when they come back because they've deferred. Um, that doesn't mean they have to go to that college because it's possible that now after they've been out of there for a year, they may decide that somewhere else is more appropriate for them and they may end up having to apply again. But at least they would have that 
place to return to if that still seemed like a good fit. Now, in terms of looking at colleges, and given that we're aiming this at parents affected by ADHD, what about the IEP and the 504 and all that kind of stuff? For students to get accommodations in college or any level of support, they need documentation. And the documentation that colleges are looking for are, is not actually the 504 or the IEP. It's the testing that took place in order for them to get to be on a plan, to be on an ed plan. So if they had testing done at school, it's usually called a psychoeducational report. Mm -hmm. If they had testing done privately outside of school, it's usually done called a neuropsych eval. But either way, that's the piece of, uh, that's the testing that colleges would want to see in order for students to, to get whatever accommodations or services. And ideally, it's within three years. Sometimes colleges these days will allow it to go to five years. So it's not like your IEP or your 504 just continues in college. Now, if I had a, my testing done in middle school and they're willing to continue my IEP 504 into high school, do I need to get private testing done? No, the school system typically does, a public school system typically does testing every three years. And they will usually are pretty good about even, let's say you had it in ninth grade. Um, they're typically pretty good about doing it again in 12th grade, even though, and you know, ideally it would be like in the fall because, you know, you might as well at least have the results of that be helpful for the student right. throughout that senior year. But typically if a student has had testing done in 10th grade, that'll carry you into college and that's all you need. Cool. That's what they're looking for is, is the testing and with that, students, you know, any student, let's say, uh, that's going to a, any college that's get federal funding, which is pretty much all of them, with that documentation, they will be eligible for accommodations, such as, you know, extended time, or if they, you know, have any visual or hearing issues, or if they qualify for assistance with note-taking, let's say, those are the kind of things that are accommodations. And then there are different levels of support offered in college so accommodations only is the basic level of support that every student with documentation should be able to get at any college. The next level is kind of like a medium level of support, mm -hmm. like called services. And that means maybe there's going to be like an academic support person, a learning specialist that the student might be able to meet with, or there might be some small groups. There's a little bit more than just accommodations. And then the third level is typically considered comprehensive support, and that's like a real program. Oftentimes, those have extra fees. And in those comprehensive programs, students are typically meeting with the same, you know, academic specialists, you know, maybe three times a week, and they really get a lot of support. Um, so for students who need that, you know, they really want to look towards one of those comprehensive programs. Sort of zooming back out to... I guess the college application process in general. Is there a structure to freshman year we want to do this, sophomore year we want to do that, junior year we want to do this other stuff? Is there is there a sort of a rhythm to that? Well, I think what's important even coming from eighth grade for students to know is that the level of classes that they are taking in eighth grade and how they do in them academically mm -hmm. will be what they're recommended for the level in their freshman year of high school of classes. Mm -hmm. You know, many students will, will be at the basic level, what they call college prep level. Um, some schools have even more than one level of college prep level. But, you know, students who are, who are academically doing well in, in eighth grade, some of their classes may be recommended for some honors classes. And then they'll get into them and see if they're appropriate. <laughs> you know, occasionally it's not, and they have to drop back down to a CP level. But 
oftentimes they are. So I guess it's hard for students at 14 or whatever to realize that sort of the effort that they're putting into school then does kind of start them off in high school in a particular track. And they can certainly jump up, but it's a, it's a little harder if you start out in college prep classes to jump up to the honors classes if you're, if you're not starting out that way. It, it can happen for sure. But it just students should be aware of that they want to take the most challenging classes possible that they can, you know, do a good job at and have a balance in their life. Okay. You know, I certainly don't want students to be trying to take honors or, or eventually AP classes if it's not appropriate for them. Um, but colleges do not only look at the grades that you are getting, that a student is getting, but they do look at the level of classes that they're taking. So students who get all A's and CP classes are not going to be applying to the same rigorous type of curriculum in college as students who are getting B's and AP classes. They're just two different levels of academics, which is fine. It just students need to be aware that right. there is a um, continuum of CP honors, AP, and certainly should only be taking what is appropriate. But if students are not challenged in high school, there's usually a way to become challenged. So anyway, back to your question, that was a little bit of a tangent, but that's the first thing to be aware of. Right. You know, just coming into high schools, the level of classes matter. Mm -hmm. And it matters right from freshman year, that whole GPA thing. You know, I have many juniors and seniors who I work with who have really kicked in and they are annoyed at themselves that they didn't work a little bit harder freshman and sophomore years to because then it's hard to bring your GPA up. Okay. So certainly the biggest thing that colleges care about all through high school is how you're doing in your classes, what level of classes are you taking, have you challenged yourself? Okay. That's, that's the biggest thing that colleges care about. Um, and so that should be right from the beginning. And then I guess a big second thing is that right from the beginning is to start thinking about what are you interested in outside of, of class that you can get involved in? Colleges much prefer to see, and it's better for each student as a person, to get involved in something that they care about and do it for four years instead of, you know, waiting till junior year and then joining four clubs um, just to sort of start like, okay, I got to do something for college. They want to see something. So I'm going to, you know, as, as people say, pad my resume. So trying to get involved in something outside school doesn't have to be a club at school. It can be something mm -hmm. totally unrelated, you know, to what's happening at school. Some activity and you don't have to do a million things. You know, kids don't have to be running around from one thing to the next. I thoroughly believe in downtime. I'm a big proponent of adolescents getting eight or nine hours of sleep, yes. which research really shows makes a huge difference in everyone's life. That's a really hard thing to accomplish. Um, now, when should we be looking for colleges? Sophomore year, junior year? When do we want to start visiting schools and those kinds of things? Well, I, I, like I say, I think if, if like your sophomore summer, your family is somewhere on vacation and you're near somewhere and it's, it's sort of a place that you're not going to get back to easily, then, you know, you could do a tour sophomore summer, but ideally maybe just driving through a few campuses at that point. I think junior fall, as I said, trying to get out there and kind of, you know, do some window shopping and start making a list of what you're looking for in a college, mm -hmm. you know, the size of the school itself. Um, and then particularly the size of classes. And I certainly think for students with ADHD and executive function difficulties, they should be looking for smaller classes. You know, if you're going to be going to classes that have 300, 400 kids in them, 
Nobody cares if you're paying attention. No one notices. And it's really easy to not pay attention or to not even show up. Right. Whereas if you're in a class with 30 kids, the professor knows that you're there and, and everyone is at least trying to look like they're paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know, typically not going for a class schools that are going to have those huge classes can typically be a better fit for, for many students. So making a list of things like that. And is it important to you to only be, you know, three hours from home because you really feel like you're going to need to get home on some weekends and that's important to you, then and that should be in there. Um, are you really just overwhelmed and it's overstimulated by a city? Then know that and know that that might not be a good environment, all the noise and chaos that, that comes with that. Other students, it's the opposite way. That's totally what they're looking for. So, you know, for some kids, they'd go crazy if they were at a tiny little school in the middle of a cornfield. Mm-hmm. So those are the type of things that you want to start thinking about and writing down. And then there are all kinds of, you know, college guides. There's the FIS guide, F-I-S-K-E guide is a only, they only cover about a hundred schools, but the Princeton Review has a, a guidebook that covers, you know, closer to 400 schools. So you can, you can just start flipping through and reading about them. There are all kinds, even on College Board, which all students need to be familiar with, because if they're signing up for SATs, they'll do it through the College Board. So they'll have an account on there. They have a very good search engine um, online where students can start working on that. Um, Naviance at their schools have search engines. There's also a book by Peterson's called The Colleges for Students with Learning Disabilities or ADHD. So they'll comment on different colleges and what their, what their um, services might be. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with the audience around ADHD and the college process? We didn't touch on the SAT or ACT, and I would like to throw that in there. That also is something that students might want to start a little bit early on. Their schools can help them apply for accommodations, whether it just be extra time or if there's anything else that they would possibly be. They need to be getting the accommodation in school. So they need to have the documentation, and if they've been using extra time on their tests in school, then they will probably get it for the SAT or ACT. But I I think it's great if a student can try one of each. So typically schools will offer the PSAT in October of their junior year. So if they can also find a way to do a practice ACT, again, you can Google that. Um, There are places that offer it for free. Then you can compare um, a practice ACT with the practice ACT and pick one. I don't think students need to prepare for both. How are they different? Well, that's a whole conversation. <laughs> They're not so different anymore, but just in a nutshell, the ACT tends to be a little faster paced. So if you get extra time, great. If you don't and you have trouble with time, then it's possible the SAT would be better for you. Um, and it also the ACT has four sections. They have basically reading, math, science, and, and then there's a um, an English section too. So, and the SAT is only the math and then the English and reading section. Um, But they've gotten more similar in the past few years since the SAT was revamped. Um, And then there are many schools that are test optional. So it is possible that if your scores, if you're not a great test taker and your scores do not come out to be at least the average of the school that you are applying to, if it is a test optional school, that means you don't have to send your scores. Kids shouldn't panic if they're, you know, really do not do well on standardized tests, they should still take them because some schools will require them. 
so in a nutshell, I guess I'd just say that students should plan ahead. They should just start the process early. Families should start talking about it. I don't think, you know, for some kids, they're just not ready, though. So you, you do have to kind of assess it. But sophomore year, just sort of start talking about, you know, where mom and dad went to college, what their path was, where Uncle Joe went. Um, and then just start talking about, um, you know, well, let's start thinking about some things you might like to do, more about what you'd like to do. Because the actual college process itself, some kids might not really be ready to think about it until junior year or even junior summer. You know, sometimes the students we work with who have ADHD or executive function skills are, are a little bit behind in their maturity from some of their peers and what they're ready to think about. So a student might not be ready, but they can still think about what things they like and get out there in the world and start becoming more independent. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at adhdessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, adhdessentials.com. And visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.